Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. My name is Dwayne Osterland, and I'm your host, and we are on to another episode. So today our guest is Jeff Johnson, and he is going to talk about his own story of loss and grief, losing his eldest son and his wife to addiction, and having to deal with his own recovery from alcoholism. Jeff is going to talk about how he had to make his choice of what he was going to do with all of his suffering and pain and which direction he was going to take that. So he shares his story and how he also turned that into the Living Undeterred project where he is going to go around the United States and tour and work to change the narrative on mental health, substance abuse, and addiction. It was great to talk with Jeff. I could understand his pain of losing a child and how that can be so overwhelming and painful, but you're left with a choice. What do you do with that pain and that hurt? Where do you take it and what do you do with it? So I hope you enjoy this conversation and if you are getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, please share it with a friend or write a review wherever you get your podcasts. And think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. Also, before we start, I know I always am asking for reviews for the podcast. It does really help the podcast get a lot of exposure, but it's also incredibly meaningful to me to see how this podcast has been helpful to so many of you and I really appreciate it and I just wanted to let you know that it means a lot to me and thank you for all of you who have taken the time to do that. I just really appreciate it. All right, everyone, let's go ahead and start this episode. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Today, my guest is Jeff Johnson, and we're going to talk about his story 
of his own recovery and also the loss of your son, the loss of your wife, and your moving forward with your family and all of that. So I'm just going to have you introduce yourself, Jeff. Yeah, Dwayne, first of all, uh, it's an honor and I'm humbled to be on the Addicted Mind podcast. I've, I've caught some of your past episodes and you do a super job and the advocacy that you're doing to bring people together is is so important today. You know, as we go through this, probably the worst epidemic with mental health that we've ever had in, in, in our country, for sure, for, for many, many reasons, all of them legitimate. And, yeah. you know, my story is tragic and painful to me, but it's also just unique to me. Everybody has their own story. And that's what I find out about this journey I'm on is that sometimes in, in this area of grief and trauma, it's easy to compare with somebody else's and say, well, yeah. you know, they lost this. So their trauma, you know, it doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. You can have no kids and not be married and put your dog down. And that could be just as traumatic as I went through losing a child. So I think one thing I've learned about this is that the, to the lens I walk through life from is is a different lens than it was five years ago, for sure. I'm so much more grateful for just meeting you and having this conversation. I take time to pause and think how lucky I am to be where I'm at in my life right now. Yeah. It's, hard for, it's hard for people to think that way, but I'm trying to change the narrative. And one of the things about changing the narrative is changing your own narrative first, your own mind first. Yeah, and I, I think that... I was watching your video on YouTube, so we'll put that link in the show notes so other people can can watch it about, you know, from living undeterred. But you talk about that resilience mm -hmm. of having that choice when we're faced with adversity, when we're faced with difficulty. And, you know, like you said, all of our pain is unique to us. Mm -hmm. It's it's painful to us no matter what it is. Mm -hmm. but we have these choices. So I want to hear about your story and, and a little bit about your background and how this kind of came to be so that we have context for your story. Great. I, I'm happy to share this. Being vulnerable is now kind of what I do. And I'm showing people that it's perfectly okay to be vulnerable. So basically going back about five years, my life took its pivot point. Uh, the two roads I talk about in my book happened on October 4, 2016. Preceding that, I started an investment company at 23, built that up uh, right out of college, had nine financial advisors, seven full-time staff. We had at our peak around 700 million of assets under management, which puts us at a pretty good size firm. So here I'm, here I'm at 50 years old, Dwayne, on top of the mountain, very right. little debt. You know, I, I'm, I was a functional alcoholic since eighth grade. I've been drinking since eighth grade and a compulsive gambler for about 15 years of my life, which in the investment business is not something to brag about. Yeah. But but I managed. I mean, I, I lost my own money. That's the only person I affected was myself. But anyway, so I had some addiction issues that were underlying. But on that day, October 4th, 2016, I was 50 years old, married to my wife, Prudence, three boys. Seth's our oldest, Ian's a middle, and Roman's the youngest. Seth's 23 on that day. Ian was 15 and Roman was 13. So Wow. Hey, dude, I hit the lottery, man. I mean, I, I was just in a good place. And then like it happens to us uh, so often. Matter of fact, it's guaranteed to happen to us at some point in our life. We get that phone call. And that phone call that you just, uh, you dread. 6.30 in the morning, I was taking my middle son to his golf tournament. He was a sophomore in high school. My wife's at home getting ready to, to go watch him play. And I take the clubs out of the trunk and my phone rings. And I look at the number and I recognize the number. And I thought, this is not going to be a good call. 
And you yeah. know, Dwayne, part of me didn't want to answer it, but part of me felt compelled to answer it. And so I did. And I immediately joined a club that I didn't ask to join and I certainly can never leave. And that's losing a child. And they found our oldest son, Seth, dead from fentanyl poisoning and his heroin, slumped in his chair in a hotel room in Waterloo, Iowa, two miles from where his little brother was playing golf that day. Wow. Two miles. Oh my. So I, I know what I didn't do. I never told Ian that I loved him. And I got in my car and I thought, how am I going to tell my wife our son is dead? And as I drove home, I had these, you can imagine what it's like in that moment. I mean, it feels like a hundred years, feels like a hundred seconds at the same time. Yeah. And I can only, I can only imagine Ian at 15 thinking, you know, where's my dad? Where's my rock star? Where's the guy who's never missed a golf tournament? You know, where's my, and he had to go play that day. I got home and you can imagine I was shaking, trembling and had to tell our wife, you know, the worst moment of my entire life. And she fell to the ground and we both fell to the ground, hugged each other. And time stood still. And I still, to this moment, those memories are just seared into my brain, you know, how painful it was. And to fast forward then, and I write about this in my book, that, that, that day I open up in, in, the, in the book about right. that day. And, and not from a, you know, I, I'm trying to, my book's an inspirational read. It, it, when you put the book down, you're going to want to go out and change the world. It's a motivational book. But I had to but start in the abyss. Yeah, you had to start in the abyss. And I can just, I mean, I can hear the pain in your voice. And that moment when you know that your child is gone and having been there myself in a different kind of way, I know how that is sheared in your memory. It's part of you and the pain is ever there. Mm-hmm. So I talk about opportunities in life. And so death presented an opportunity for me to be a better man, not a bitter man. Yeah. And so what I did is I now I had to figure out how am I going to tell the boys that their brother died? And Ian was coming home from his golf tournament. Roman was getting off the bus. And I called my dad. He's a doctor. And I said, hey, dad, you know, what do I do? My dad said, Jeff, I'll tell you what to do. My dad's very pragmatic. You know, he's dealt with, you know, deaths and births and everything. And he goes, you tell him the truth and you shut your mouth. Yeah. Did you like to talk? And I said, okay, I'll try it. So boys came home. I sat him down. I said, boys, I got some terrible news. Your, your brother's dead. I didn't say anything. And they both swelled up and they both looked confused. And I'm sure Roman didn't really understand. We had pets put down. That was about it, you know? And, and then Ian looked at me, my 15 year old, and he goes, he goes, uh, He goes, how'd he die, dad? Drugs? I go, yeah, drugs. And then, you know, Dwayne, something happened. And I, I, I cannot tell you where this came from because I didn't rehearse it. But I stood up on the couch. My wife's over here, a wreck. My two boys are sitting here looking for their dad. I think in my brain, this is it, dude. This is the one chance you had your whole life to be the best dad you can be. This is your moment. You know, this is the halftime speech. You got one chance to F this up, man. Don't do it. And so something clicked in my head. I stood up and I said, boys. It's a key chapter in my book called The Two Roads, and it's really the, the backbone behind my nonprofit, The Choices right. Network. I stood up and I said, boys, we have one of two roads to go down. We have one road of anger, despair, and hatred. We'll become alcoholics and addicts ourselves, or we have a road of inspiration and motivation. And this could be the single greatest moment in our lives to make our own lives better and those around us. I'm on the second road. I ask you to join me. And I swear 
I swear that's how I said it, that eloquently, that honestly, that authentic. And boy, they did, man. They did. My book's about the wow. two things my sons have done. They, my, my son, both my sons have done some absolutely amazing things. My middle son raised $50,000 while in high school for, through golf. CBS Sports came out and did a documentary on my son. This is when he was in high school. And, you know, it's, it's odd, Dwayne, because every time we took one or two steps forward, we would take three or four back. Right. Yeah. And my wife and I, you know, there was this, this picture of us being resilient and us surviving this ordeal and it was going to make our family stronger. But behind the scenes, my wife and I were drinking ourselves to death. Right. And I drank all day long. No one knew it at the time. My wife did as well. And then on December 24, 2017, I just woke up, Dwayne, and I was done. Right. I, as an alcoholic since eighth grade, I just woke up and said, I'm tired of being tired. This is it. Line in the sand. I have attention deficit. I'm type A. I'm competitive. I thought, you know, look in the mirror, dude. You have one person going to fix this problem. Right. And so I've never had a drop since, and it's been the easiest thing I've ever had to quit my entire lifetime. So you got to this space. It sounds like it was built, though, with that decision when you're faced with that mm -hmm. that road, that decision, that moment of deep darkness and despair that you really only have two options. Actually, I think you only have one. Because wow. the the bitter road is not a road I want to be on. So for me, yeah. for me, I yeah. like to metaphorically say two roads so people can see that picture. But there's always one road for me. I I can walk down the bitter road to the end of the driveway and I get right back in my house. It's like I don't want to go down that road. And so yeah, I agree with you. Sure, there's always two choices, but for me it was pretty clear. I, I had one choice. Right. And so I stopped drinking and I thought I would help my wife. And June of last year, 29th of June, I got the call that they found my, my wife died from alcohol abuse at the age of 46, married 21 years. So what have I learned from all this? Lots of things. And um, it spawned some amazing things that I'm doing now with my life. And I like to tell people when I speak that there's one sentence that if you could write this sentence down and use it in your life every single day, it would be, it would change your life. And how you answer the sentence will dictate the emotional state the rest of your life, the quality of your life. And here's the sentence, Dwayne, do things happen to you or do things happen for you? And if you run through life saying to yourself, I'm being punished by somebody. Why did this happen to me? Why did my son do drugs? Why did he do that? Why wasn't I there for him? Then you're a victim and that's your mindset the rest of your life. And it's very hard to get out of those grips. Whereas you say, this happened for me. My son and my wife are not here for a reason. Now, I may not know that reason. Right. I don't know it. I'm not waiting for it. I'm going to go make my own reason up. And that's just being impatient and being hyper, you know, intense person. I, I can't sit around waiting for this sign. Here's your reason, Jeff. You know, it's like, no, I'm going to go make my own reason. So that's what I do every single moment of every day. Is I make the reasons for myself instead of waiting around. So to me, the four mindset, Dwayne, is your victor mindset. So you have your victim mindset, things happen to me, woe is me, or you have the victor mindset, things happen for me. It's a key part of our project, the Living Undeterred project that we're trying to, to show people how to live an inspired life despite the inevitable chaos that comes our way. I mean, nobody's made it out of here alive ever. Right. And you know? and the suffering that it is to 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 just be alive, that 
there's suffering through all of it. And we have, like you said, we have that choice. We either can be, I guess, take the road. And I, and unfortunately some people do take that choice. You know, Mm -hmm. they move into addiction, they work to escape it, they work to avoid it. Or you have that choice to say, what, what, what meaning am I going to make out of this pain? You know, Viktor Frankl wrote in Man's Search for Meaning, which to me is the best book I've ever read. He wrote that suffering is my opportunity. When I read yeah. that, I came out of my chair. I thought, oh my, that is my epiphany moment. So I wrote it down. I restructured it. So my quote, I like to say, Duane, is pain is unavoidable, but suffering is a choice. So yeah. the pain, the pain of losing my son, that effing sucked. I mean, it's painful. You saw me. I, it, it's it's raw every day. It's been five years. Losing my wife less than, you know, back in November, or I'm sorry, June of last year, that's painful as well. That that pain, I don't fight upstream. I, I don't right. fight against the pain. I fight against the suffering. I'm not going to allow the suffering to linger very long. I cry 20 times a day. Sometimes it's just gut-wrenching crying, but I don't allow it to last very long. I've kept it short. I've compartmentalized it. Let's talk a little bit about that because I think for a lot of people out there, when when we're in the midst of a lot of pain, there's this other kind of mode to go into, which is I'm just going to push it all down. Mm -hmm. I'm just going to ignore it and I'm just going to be victorious, (laughs) you know, (laughs) and I, and I think that also isn't going to do it. Let me add to that with a story real quick here. If it's okay, takes a few minutes to tell and would basically validate what you just said, because I think of suffering and pain as kind of a, um, a spectrum, you know, you go up and down, you go up and down. I mean, I meet people one day, they're on top of it. The next day they're not, but I had a situation in December that is the most terrifying situation I've ever had in my life, more terrifying than burying a child and my wife. And it was this after she died. I had seven boxes, I call them. To me, they're the seven boxes of doom. And they were seven boxes that she had in her basement. We were going through a separation at the time because I couldn't allow the boys to be around the drinking. And so I bought my wife a house and stayed back and, and tried to right the ship, so to say, you know. And after she died, I found seven boxes in her basement that I had mm-hmm. never seen before. And I brought them home. I set them in my living room. And I walked by him every day for like a month or two. And finally, one day, Dwayne, I realized these seven boxes aren't going to get out of my house by themselves. Now, this is Mr. Undeterred, right? I have a podcast, a book. I do this tour. I'm doing all this stuff, speaking around. Everyone looks at me as bulletproof, as Superman. And this story proves that I'm not, that I'm just like everybody else. So on a Friday evening, my son's in college. My other son's at a friend's house. I decide after walking by these boxes, Dwayne, it was time to open them. I sat down, pulled up a chair, opened up the first box. It's my son. It's all stuff about my son I've never seen before. And right on the top is a uh, a four-page written letter he wrote to me when he was in prison. And I've never seen this letter. And I have yet to get past the first page. I've not read page two, three, and four because I just can't, I can't get myself to read it. And so that letter was on top. So I'm reading the first page. I'm going from here to hear in 10 seconds. Right, right. And pictures and, and and just drawings when he was in fifth grade, you know, that's box one. That was like half an hour. And finally I quit. I gave up on the box and I went to the second box and it was my wife. It was our marriage. It was just all these 
trips to Europe and pictures of the kids and just, and dude, I'm telling you, I went from the way I am with you to knowing in seven seconds I could get my gun, my Beretta out of my safe and kill myself. That That's how fast I went. And that's the only yeah. time in my life I've ever had suicidal ideation. I've never had it before. It was so effing terrifying that I could possibly even Mr. Undeterred. This was just in Jan- in December of last year. So you're looking at what, four months? Yeah. Four months ago. And fortunately, I didn't do it. But the mere fact that I thought about it terrified me to my core. So what I did, Dwayne, I sat down for the next couple of days and I figured out how, how did I get there? And I figured out how. I took shortcuts. I skipped meditation for a week. I skipped running on my elliptical for a week. I was eating bad foods that I normally don't eat. And it's because, Dwayne, I got overconfident. I got, I got complacent. And I thought right. I had grief whipped. I thought I was a victor. Yeah. I let my guard down, almost cost me my life. So I went and added 10 minutes on my meditation. Now I do 20 minutes a day and I added 15 minutes on my elliptical and I do an hour and 15. And dude, if I miss a day, I'm dead. I can't do it. I have to, I have to stay on. It's like an alcoholic having to go to AA meetings. It's like, to me, that's my mindset. So I don't miss a day. So the number one thing I do out to get out of the way. Is to, to, to work through that and, mm-hmm. and to... My coping uh, mechanisms. Your coping mechanisms. One of the things that I found too, having, you know, lost, you know, a newborn and, and lost right. Audrey is I really realized, and that, that would be 13 years now. One of the things I, I realized is I had to make friends with my grief mm-hmm. because otherwise it was just all consuming. Mm-hmm. And, and that's a hard thing to do. It is. And also it can lead to being addicted to your vulnerability. Mm-hmm. And that's a scary thing in itself. And I run into that because my feet hit the ground in the morning and I'm I'm living undeterred mindset and I'm building this project and I'm working on, I'm doing podcasts myself. I'm on your podcast. I don't disassociate myself from what happened to me very well because I'm immersed in it every day. And I'm cognizant that that can become a problem. And you can, in a way, be addicted to your vulnerability in a negative way. So, yeah, you're right. I'm hypersensitive of being able to shut things down when I need to and walk away for a while and and then come back and regroup. But I think that's like what you're saying is like that's our humanity. Mm-hmm. That's as human beings and people, like you said, you know, when you're out there suffering, we're we're all human in this together. And there's these ups and these downs and these you're always working on it, mm-hmm. at least for me. Well, I am too. I mean, this conversation you and I are having is my therapy. You know, it's helping me. And I've I've taken back in college. I was pretty heavy into stoicism. It's nice to see mm-hmm. a research. It's nice to see people like Ryan Holiday and and people talking about stoicism because there's a lot of practical, pragmatic, you know, reasonable ways to look at situations that the Stoics practice that that I think could really help people that are struggling with mental health and substance abuse and addiction today. And one of them is reframing the idea of reframing your situation. So instead of me looking at what happened to me from the the lens of being behind my my eyes, you know, right? I'm looking at the lens of looking at me now from another viewpoint. So. Yeah. And that really helps me understand kind of really how insignificant A, I am and my problems are, you know, even though someone could sit there and say, well, 
Jeff, I don't know how you could say that you've lost. Well, yeah, I lost my mom too, just in November, you know, on top yeah. of all this, but those aren't three losses. I gained something, you know, yeah. I gained something as a human being. What did I gain? I don't know. Gratitude, perspective, empathy, right. love, more respect for people struggling. Sure. I mean, a death of somebody doesn't have to be the end of you. It can be the beginning of something beautiful. So I live with that chasing my son mentality, Dwayne. People, I think when they lose somebody, they think of them behind them. Now, I'm chasing my son. I'm chasing my wife. I'm chasing my mom. You know, it's like I'm chasing them. And that that keeps me grounded in the moment. And I don't live in the back very far. I don't look in the rearview mirror. And when I do... I only try to go back there for the good moments. Yeah, I totally relate to that, especially about the stoicism and being outside of yourself mm -hmm. and, and looking at it from that perspective, because it's almost when we're in it, it's just too much. It's just too much. And so being able to step out and say, what am I going to do with, with this? And then looking at yourself and seeing all the gifts that it gives you. I totally relate to you, Jeff. You know, a good, a good story that I like to say is just take the word addicted. You know, I go to high schools and I give talks to kids and I'll say, okay, I'm going to say a word and you tell me what comes to mind. So I take my pen out or my marker and then I'll say addiction. And you can imagine alcohol, drugs, blah, 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 blah. And I say, okay, how about telling the truth? How about eating healthy? How about drinking right. water? How about, how about uh, studying in class or your grades? How about telling your parents the truth? You know, how about being addicted to the things that improve your life? So the connotation is addiction's bad. And that, again, that's a stigma I'm trying to change. Addictions aren't bad at all. Right. They're beautiful. They're lovely. I don't think imposter syndrome is bad. I don't think envy is bad. I don't think gel. I don't, all these are great things. You just don't want to have, you don't want to have a lot of them. Right. The length of time, me too, is important. Even the whole idea of the tour, which I haven't talked about yet, but that came from me seeing what some other dad was doing. And I thought I can do that too. So envy, jealousy, imposter syndrome, all was the impetus, was the genesis behind the Living Undeterred Tour that we're doing, uh, our nationwide tour for 95 days, all came out of, Jeff Johnston just feeling like I can do better than somebody else. So yeah. when we say imposter syndrome is bad and we tell kids it's, it's bad in length of time, it's not bad for a moment. Yeah. It's not bad for a moment. That all these things can be of service to us. We can use these right. as tools to, to motivate us, to help us right. change behavior, to do amazing things. Yeah, I, I, I can totally understand that. So let's let's jump into mm -hmm. living undeterred and yeah. tell us about that and what you're doing with with all of this tragedy and suffering and pain and grief and all of that. How are you turning that into something amazing? Well, I'll give you a kind of a shorter version because I know we're going to be up against the clock here in a minute. But the reality was I felt like I wasn't doing enough, Dwayne. And again, people looking at me could think, wow, Jeff, how could that be? You know, you're doing all these things. Well, when you have attention deficit, one thing you never get is complacent. And I just always felt like I wasn't doing enough. And so I came up with this idea one, one day after watching this dad right across the state he lived in raising money for breast cancer. I've got this saying, purpose becomes passion when it gets personal. You got to say that a few yeah. times. Purpose, be And this dad, all of a sudden, breast cancer became personal, and now he's out raising money. So I thought, well, yeah. that's cool. I thought, that's cool. 
Iowa's too small. I don't want to ride a bike. So I did the next best thing. I went the next day and bought a 34 foot RV. I've never been in an RV. And I called all my friends. I went on social media the next day and said, I'm going around the United States raising a million dollars to change the narrative, taking my two boys and a cat. And uh, we're going to every state in the United States for 95 days. And everybody told me, you know, Jeff, you're crazy. This is going to bankrupt you, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to get people on this, on this RV that have reasons to do this, not reasons not to. Yeah. So if you want to tell me I can't do this, then you pro- I'm, not, I'm the wrong RV for you. Now we're 30 days out and we have 38 states on board. And this is going to be the most epic, amazing adventure in, in storytelling and connectivity that we possibly could have, could have embarked on. And so we are, we're going to every state. We have 60 stops we're going to make in 50 states. And I want to raise a million dollars. And that's the objective. We're giving half the money back, whatever we raise, to the 50 or 60 state partners that collaborate with us on this. That's amazing. That is so great. And and working to, like you said, ending the stigma of mental health, mm-hmm. ending the stigma of addiction, talking about it, putting it out there so that we can have compassion and, and work to be our best selves. You know, Johan Hari wrote in Chasing the Scream, the opposite of addiction is connectivity, connection. Well, that's what yeah. we're doing. That's what we're doing. I'm getting off my computer. I'm getting off my phone. I'm getting in an RV. We're going to drive around the country, meet some amazing people every day that'll change my life. And in doing so, I can help people change theirs and, and make this a we story, not a me story. I want, I want this soul not about every stop, everyone hearing my sad story. I want to hear your story, Dwayne, about what led you to do your podcast, about, about your, your daughter that, that passed away and your pain and kind of how you're doing good. And then turn the spotlight on all these people. And I'm writing a book called 50 Stories in 50 States. And I'm going to pick one massive story that changes my life. And I'm going to write a book with 50 of these. And you don't think when people get done reading that, they're going to say, well, shit, I don't, I don't have it that bad. <laughs> I mean, you know, this is a big boat I'm in. This is a pretty big boat we're in, you know? We're, we're all here, right? I, I love that right. idea. I think that's amazing because it's like through story, we hear like we're not alone. And to be able to mm-hmm. collect these stories, travel mm-hmm. around, get them, get them on a personal level and put them into a book. I, I think that's awesome. And I, I'm so excited for you. Well, I hope that you can be a part of the journey. All the podcast shows I'm on, I'm inviting the host to wherever they're located to either come out and participate. I have one group that's doing a live podcast on the day of our stop. They're going to come oh. out and do a, do a live podcast, which I think is awesome. It's good that for their- That would be awesome. Oh, and you're welcome that. to do that. What state are you in? I'm in California. Okay, we're going to be in- uh, Sacramento area, and we're going to be in San Diego, and then we're going to be in okay. Reno as well, Reno, Nevada. Um, All right, perfect. I'll, we'll 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 talk more about yeah, that later. We're, later, we're after uh, after we end the podcast. So, yeah, Jeff, I just uh, you know it's it's been awesome to connect with you, hear your story. I can feel your pain and your hurt, but I I also see like the energy that it's brought to bring amazing things to this world. And, and I love to see that. That's one of the reasons I do the podcast is it's when we go through the suffering and we can make it into something that helps so many others and helps so many other people. I just appreciate it. So thank you so much. 
one thing I would throw out there to your listeners that would, would really help them is that I think we all have a why inside of us, right? We all have a why. You just got to find it. And sometimes it's revealed. Sometimes your meaning and purpose is, you know, yours happened 13 years ago, kind of gave you a why. And I don't know you that well, but I'm sure you have other whys. But a lot of people, I didn't know what my why was until I was 50. I thought yeah. it was making money. I thought it was fancy things. I thought it was living that, that lifestyle. I was wrong. My, my why was revealed on me on that morning, that, that, that crisp October morning in, in Iowa. And yeah. we all have a why and you just got to find it. And then when you find it, your way gets revealed right in front of you. So now I know what I want to do the rest of my life. And it's a second career. And I'm more excited about this project we're on than I ever was in the 32 years I did investment advice. But it took death. It took something to take something from me to actually add something to my life. And I'm just showing people that's the only way to look at it. There really aren't, there really isn't another road. The other road is not, not a road that I want to be on. Yeah. Yeah. There's usually a question, but I think you kind of answered it. There's a question that I usually ask as we get mm -hmm. close to the end. Like if anybody is out there suffering and you could say one thing to them, what would it be? You may have just answered it, but go ahead. I think it's back to the story with the boxes. Well, here's what I would say to anybody. Think of, think of on your back, you have a quiver and you're filling it with arrows to fight against whatever you're fighting against, this beast, whether it's depression, anxiety, or alcoholism, whatever. And you want to add as many arrows. So maybe it's God. Maybe you're, you're a man of faith or a person of faith. Maybe it's exercise. Maybe you want to be in triath triathlons and all that stuff. Maybe it's reading. Maybe it's starting your own podcast. And, but have, have a quiver just bursting full of arrows. And that's what I think would, what I would want to leave your li listeners with. Don't find one arrow to kill the beast. You want to have a quiver full of arrows and use that metaphor as you go through life. So each time you find something that helps you, put in the quiver. But remember, don't take shortcuts. It almost cost me my life. And that's that's the thing that I would say, once you get that quiver full of arrows, never, ever, ever take a day off. Oh, thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Thank you so much for coming on to The Addicted Mind. Where can people find you? What are your links and all that stuff? Yeah, the easiest place would be would go to www.livingundeterred.com. I'm Jeff Johnston on LinkedIn, Jeff Johnston on Facebook. The livingundeterred.com would be the best place. I'm free to talk about this to anybody that wants to listen because as I alluded to, I'm not alone and neither are you and neither are your listeners. Thank you so much. I'm going to put all those links in the show notes at theaddictedmind.com. Jeff Thank you so much for coming on and, and just sharing your story. It's been my pleasure. Thank you very much. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. There you can find all the links to the Living Undeterred 2022 tour. And if you're getting a lot out of the Addicted Mind podcast, Please write us a review in iTunes or wherever you get your podcast. I'd really appreciate it. Thank you so much. And join our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind Podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful day. And I will talk to you on the next episode.
Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty, feel sexy and alive as F. So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.